Hi, it's Liz, host of the Chit Chat Circus podcast. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm going to speak about something that has been keeping me busy this summer, one of my favorite summer projects, and that is my very first law school class. So my school offered a summer elective. Usually these were offered spring of your 1L year, but because of the COVID-19 pandemic, they got a crash course in using Zoom and Canvas and all these internet technologies to teach their classes. And so as a way to kind of introduce us to that system in case any of our classes need to be online this fall, this was a great opportunity to get some law school credit going during the summer, introduce us to the process for taking a law school class, and teach us how to use the internet. So those are some of the goals that my teacher had. Also for the class, the subject is pandemic law, which is particularly relevant to these times that we're in now in 2020. And so we're learning a little bit about the law behind some of the issues that are making a lot of the news, things like vaccines and human trials, lockdowns versus quarantines, things like that. Uh, I don't think anybody in the class anticipated the uh, mask-wearing debate about how something that's a simple public safety measure turned into a political tool, but the focus was really on things like vaccines and the law behind them and the law behind public health in general. So that's kind of what we focused on. The first assignment was actually pretty fun. We watched the movie Contagion from 2011. I have not seen that film before, so I watched it just for the class which was eye-opening, seeing it for the first time after the pandemic. And I really wanted to hear from students in the class who had seen it before the pandemic, if that gave them any kind of heads up as to what might be happening as the world goes through an actual pandemic. So we talked a little bit about the differences between the film and the real-life COVID-19 pandemic. The biggest, of course, being that for television and cinematic purposes, the disease in the film is very visual. There's lots of people bleeding and sort of like a a pus and boils type thing. And obviously COVID-19 is a respiratory illness. The effects of it are all internal. But for visual sake, you know, they went with a a more visual way of expressing this. Also, it it spreads quite rapidly, more rapidly than COVID-19. And it also is quite deadly and a much higher percentage of the people it infects. All of that, of course, ramps up the drama and leads to, I guess, more interesting conflicts in the movie. So obviously COVID-19 is not quite like that. It's a much more subtle and insidious disease. There's a lot of asymptomatic people who have this who are able to spread it but don't show any symptoms or have any effects at all. So that's one of the challenges that the real life people have faced. But it did bring up some interesting questions, especially at the very, uh, very, well, I don't want to give spoilers. I was going to talk about the very end and I don't know that I should give some things away, but I'll talk about Jude Law's character. He plays a very interesting character, probably my favorite character in the film just because he's so different. And there's one particular scene that I thought was very true to life where he's walking around to sort of ravage San Francisco in homemade PPE made from garbage bags and cleaning gloves. And he's part uh, bubble boy, part healthcare worker. And I just thought that was very, very eerily true to reality because I've seen pictures of healthcare workers making their own PPE out of garbage bags. And people are obviously sewing their own masks and things like that. So... That was very true to reality. There's a lot of other things in the film. There was a little living room prom that I thought was very sweet. And 
you know, who would have thought that that would come to be in 2020? So anyways, the, our first, I guess, assignment in the class was watching Contagion and then discussing some of the things we noticed that were presentient and some of the things that were pure Hollywood fiction, including at the very, well, no, again, I was going to say at the very end, I'm not going to give spoilers away for that movie. So I'll do another review, a spoilery review of Contagion if people are interested and we can talk about what came to pass and what didn't. But back to the class. So another one of the sort of media topics that is always brought up when you talk about contagions and pandemics and diseases and things like that is the case of Typhoid Mary, which is really interesting. We read a few articles on that. We actually listened to an NPR podcast where they went to the island where she was quarantined twice and talked a little bit about her experience. And that was really startling as well. So people complain about being locked down and not being able to go out to, you know, shop or go to a bar or things like that in the name of spreading of disease. But this poor woman was confined to the island for three years, not charged with any crime and not really explained properly what she was doing there and why she was there. She uh, was a asymptomatic carrier of typhoid back in the early 1900s. So she displayed no outward symptoms. She never got sick herself, but she supposedly was a, well, she was a cook and she passed it on to other people through the act of cooking. Um, Usually that kills the disease, but her specialty was peach melba, which is a raw peaches and ice cream dish. So it didn't, uh, there was no cooking involved to kill off any of the the disease. So she um, likely passed it on to some of the households she had cooked for. And, you know, that was her trade. And so they said they kept her on this island for they being the health department and government of New York. Eventually a new either health department or government county officer, who knows, came in there and said, no, you can't keep a woman locked away for years with no trial and no due process. That's a violation of the Constitution. And it absolutely is. And so she was released and told just not to cook again. They supposedly gave her training and a job as a laundress, which is not a step up from being a cook. It's a very difficult, hot, physically demanding job. So I can see why that was not something she'd wanted to do. She wanted to use the skill she had. So she went back. She changed her name, kind of went into hiding and went um, back to cooking and was found in the city a couple years later, or as a cook at a, uh, a women's hospital, I believe, or a children's hospital, a maternity hospital. That's what it was. And so they arrested her again because this time she had broken the conditions of her parole by going back to cooking. And so they put her back on this island and she was there until she died. So we talked about in class what current quarantine statutes would have applied. This had happened in different states. All of the quarantine statutes are state dependent There can be federal guidelines, but they're all implemented at the state level. Sometimes it's the health board that issues them. Sometimes it's the governor. Sometimes it's both. So we were each assigned or picked a different state. We looked at those laws and kind of analyzed whether her situation would have been legal or not legal, depending on the particular um, quarantine statutes at that particular state. So that was really interesting. And so the next week we did start talking about cases, Specifically, um, two cases. One was Juho versus Williamson, a case from San Francisco in the 1900, where there was a quarantine of Chinatown 
and the way it was applied, it only applied to Chinese Americans or Chinese citizens in that particular region. The people who were not of Chinese descent who lived or worked in that particular area were still allowed to go in and out of the quarantine area. Basically, the way it was applied, the quarantine did nothing to actually spread the disease that they said was there. And then upon further investigation by scientists, it was noted that there was likely never any cases of bubonic plague in the first place in that particular part of San Francisco. And if there was, a lot more people would have gotten it because of the way they applied the quarantine. So that one was actually uh, struck down, a boon for civil rights and the uh, protections of the 14th Amendment. So that was great. That was the first case we talked about from 1900. Another case we talked about was really interesting. That was Wisconsin versus Andrea Palm. That was from 2020, just a few months ago. So basically, quarantine or, or lockdown orders were put in place by the Department of Health Services. I can't remember what the exact name of that branch was, but basically it was the executive branch using the powers authorized to the government to act in times of emergency to issue a lockdown for the people and prevention of the spread of the virus. But the legislature took issue with that and they sued the secretary um, of the health department over who had the power to enact this particular bit of law. It ended up being considered a law, not just an order, because there was an element of punishment there. There were fines and possible jail time for people who broke the lockdown orders. So they did define it as a law, but then also... There were questions that we asked in class about whether the legislature really had the public health at mind when they were doing this, because did they ever follow up and do their own orders for the people's safety, or did they just get mad because somebody else took charge and did that in the emergency? It was held that the order that the health secretary had put in place was in violation of the Wisconsin statutes that gave certain powers to the legislature. And they held that that power belonged to the legislature and that the legislature should have done their emergency procedures to put in something like this. But one of the dissenting opinions was written by a judge from the school that I'll be going to, which was pretty exciting to know that one of the alma mater is a Supreme Court judge in Wisconsin. So that's pretty exciting. So we talked about that case, which was really interesting. And that was really interesting as well because there were lots of opinions in that case. There were seven judges ruling on it. And there's even a question of whether it it was found in the majority because there were so many opinions. Some were in favor of it, but for different reasons. Some were in favor of it in only certain parts. Some were dissenting in the whole decision, some were dissenting in certain parts. So it was really interesting because all of these seven judges wrote something to kind of have their say. So it was a lot of reading, but it was really interesting. I thought that was a good case to discuss. So, And our teacher was thrilled that we had something that was so current and relevant that came along right when she was planning the class. That turned out to be good for us. So one of the things I'm looking at or just finding out in law school is that every time we discuss a case or an issue, there are always more questions than answers. It always raises more ethical issues or legal issues or what if, or what if you change this one thing? Does that change the outcome? And very likely it can. So the way a case was decided might have been changed if the if the defendant or the plaintiff had brought in a different piece of evidence or tried to argue the rule in a different way, which is really interesting. It can be frustrating too because there's never any 100% answers on anything. But it's, I think it's really interesting. So I'm enjoying that part of our class and our discussion so far, too. When our first 
lesson when we were still kind of getting to know the Zoom platform and playing Zoom bingo, asking people questions and just kind of reading other people's responses to the online discussion about the movie Contagion, I was struck by how brilliant all the other students are. I'm just in awe of these people. They're so smart. And in my class discussions and everything, I just love getting to know them and hearing their opinions on things and how they read a case or how they read a particular article or an issue. And I'm like, wow, I didn't think about it that way. They're just so brilliant. And I kind of felt like I'd found my people. I'm like, I am going to love the next three years. I know it's going to be a lot of work. It's a lot of reading, 16 hour days. You're massively busy with everything you have to do. But I'm really, really excited to get to know and to work with the people that are in these classes and the professors at my school and everything. I'm just so stoked. I can't even say. So that's something that's definitely been a good thing in the class too, not just introducing me to how to read cases and how to think about issues from a legal perspective, but just how inspiring it is to be working with such brilliant people. So that's going to be exciting. Back on topic, the previous week we discussed the Wisconsin versus Palm and Duho versus Williamson cases about quarantines and lockdown orders. This past week we discussed vaccine development and the Jacobson versus Massachusetts Supreme Court case from 1905. It was an early anti-vax case. The argument was that there was a, a law in Massachusetts saying everyone had to get vaccinated for smallpox unless you had an exemption by a doctor. And this particular candidate could have possibly had an exemption from a doctor, but he chose not to do that. He chose to argue on the basis of personal liberty and that he just didn't want to get one because it went against his liberty to to be told by the government what to do with his body. Basically, the court said, no, that's not the case. Uh, you are guaranteed liberty, but you are not guaranteed absolute liberty 24-7 in all parts of your life for the entirety of your life. There are instances for the public safety when your liberty might be curtailed. In that particular case, it was a smallpox outbreak. So ordering people to get vaccines was in the best interest of everybody. So if it impinged on the personal liberty of a few people, the court found that to be an acceptable sacrifice for the circumstances detailed. So again, this kind of goes back to that issue. If, if this particular plaintiff had brought his past history with vaccines and gotten a doctor's exemption, it wouldn't have gone this far. He probably could have gotten out of paying the $5 fine and gotten out of having to do the vaccine. But he chose not to do that. And there was no information in the case as to why that particular decision was made. So I don't know if anybody's researched that, but that's one of the cases we discussed. And that was pretty interesting. So this whole past week has been about vaccine development, the different stages of development, how it goes through different levels of trials to eventually hopefully vaccinating a large enough percentage of the people that you get herd immunity. And what defines herd immunity depends on the R value or how many people that one contagious person might spread to. I'll have to double check the math, but I believe, according to this video, that if you have an R value of something like one, like if, if one sick person passes the disease on to one other sick person, then I believe you need to have a herd immunity where at least 50% of the population is vaccinated or has had the disease and is now immune. 
And then that goes up. The higher the R value, the more people that an infected person is likely to pass it on to, the more people need to have herd immunity to avoid the disease spreading too fast. And so, or just spreading in general. That was an interesting thing that I learned and I didn't know before. There's different types of vaccines. The one that a lot of people are discussing now is the mRNA vaccine, which is being called a new vaccine. It's new for humans, but apparently it's existed a long time for animals. In fact, this is how the rabies vaccine is. It's an mRNA vaccine. And there's another coronavirus that is specific to poultry. And there's an mRNA vaccine for that, too. So that was pretty interesting, learning about these different types of vaccines. And we talked just in general about the sort of ethics of vaccines, you know, would we want to be, when would we want to take the vaccine ourselves? What is comfortable as far as um, using human subjects? We talked about the legal requirements for that. Lots of really interesting things. It was uh, interesting discussions. Our class discussions are always really interesting. I've learned a lot and I'm very excited for the coming week when we'll have new readings on a new subject, new cases to discuss and kind of wrap things up with the final project. So it's not a traditional law school class where we'll have the issue-based essay like we will on like constitutional law or torts or something, but we will have a final project. And then we can do a, like a sample essay test to kind of help us get ready for those kinds of exams. So I'm very excited for what's coming next. I'm very excited to start law school. I'm really, really glad that I was accepted to this school in particular. The more I go on discussing things in class with the students, I get very attached to this particular group of students. So even though I am still waiting on some decisions from some schools this late in the summer, it's going to be really hard to want to pick some other school and some other group over the students that I've gotten attached to and the school that I really bonded to. So we'll see what happens there. I will keep you posted on how law school goes. Anyways, thank you for listening. I hope you've had a wonderful afternoon. Weigh in in the comments on YouTube or the Facebook page or the website if you want to ask any questions, if you have watched the movie Contagion and would like my discussion on the whole movie itself and other any other things. If you're thinking about law school too, I'd love to hear about it. How were your electives? Have you done a pandemic law class or studied this from a public health perspective? That'd be really interesting to hear as well. So anyways, thank you for tuning in to the Chit Chat Circus podcast. You can follow us on Captivate, all of the streaming platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and more. You can also follow us on YouTube. We'll put up all the podcast and video form up there as well as on our own website, thechitchatcircus.com and the Facebook page, Facebook group, Twitter and Instagram often have new things as well. So thank you again for joining me. Hope you have a wonderful day. Take care. Bye-bye.